0: Passion for God and compassion for our neighbor. Reaching our region and beyond with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. This is Crosswinds Church. And now, here's Pastor Kurt Truxas. This morning, as I said, we're going to be studying the book of Jude and finishing that up. But just to give you a little forecast of what happens next week, Next week, we're going to start a short four-week series called Vision. And what I'm going to do, as well as Pastor Jordan, is we are going to share with you for four weeks what is the elders' five-year vision for Crosswind's future. And we're going to show you the biblical underpinnings on why we're going to be focusing on as a church, the key things that we'll be focusing on as a church. So I encourage you to be part of that next week. Now, while we're closing up the book of Jude today, I realize, as I was thinking about this, there's a number of us who have not been here either for parts of these messages, a number of us are just coming in at the end of these messages, so let me just take a moment to briefly summarize what we've learned through the book of Jude, and then we'll jump into the final two verses for the grand finale of the book. Jude, by the way, is not just the name of the book. It's the name of the person who wrote this book. Jude is the half-brother of Jesus Christ. Jude and Jesus have the same mother, which was Mary. But for Jesus, he was, a, he was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Jude, though his father was Joseph, Mary and Joseph, And we know that Jude, along with his other brothers and sisters, did not believe in Jesus while he was on earth. But after they saw Jesus die and they met the risen Jesus, they quickly changed their opinion and began worshiping him as God. Jude, what he calls us to do in this book, he calls us to go to war. Now, that sounds like some pretty strong words, but it's not just like a random war. It's that we would fight for the faith. Because he says there are a lot of people out there who claim to be Christians who are actually not Christians, who like to slip into the church and are trying to derail Christians in the church, trying to destroy Christians in the church. He says you need to know these things and be prepared for these things And he says it this way in verse 3, which is his theme verse. I found it necessary to appeal to you to contend for the faith. That's fight for the faith. The faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Why? Because certain men have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for their condemnation. They're ungodly men we're perverting the grace of God into sensuality, and they're denying our only Lord and Master, even though they're inside the ver- inside His church. In verse twelve, he describes them like. Reefs, hidden reefs. And if you've ever sailed, you know that reefs, they grow up sometimes right below the surface of the waves. And a boat is sailing along, hits those reefs, and it tears the bottom of the boat out, and the boat sinks. And Jude says, that's what these people want to do with you. They are hidden among you, but they're intent on destroying you. Now, after introducing us to these people, he followed this line of thinking in verses um, 6 through, or actually, yes, 5 through 16. He says this, you know, if you study the way apostates worked in the past, you can see the tactics and the techniques they used in the past because it'll be the same thing they used to try and attack you and destroy you in the present. And what Jude did in that section is he went through apostates of history we learned the way they worked. We looked at the apostate exodus generation. We looked at the angels in heaven who fell away from God and their apostasy. We looked at Sodom and Gomorrah who was destroyed for their sinfulness and their apostasy. We looked at Cain. We looked at Balaam. We looked at Korah. So we saw how these people worked in the past so we could learn their techniques and strategies that they would use against us in the present. Because history always repeats itself. And then we came to what was verse 17, where we were last week. And Jude stopped talking about these men, and he started saying, but let me talk to you about you. Let me tell you how to protect yourselves from these people. And their techniques and their strategies. And this actually begins in the very top of your sermon outline here. It's a little review. How do we survive in spiritually troubled times? This is what we did last week. Number one, he says, we must remember the apostles told us to expect false teachers. When you see these people infiltrating churches, when you see people who are health, wealth, and prosperity preachers stealing people away, when you see liberal theologians out there denying Jesus Christ, even though they're part of his church, don't freak out about these things. Don't be surprised by them. Expect them. And last week, we went through a number of verses where the apostles told us, this is what will happen. It'll be this way until Christ returns with these spiritual spies, these terrorists trying to infiltrate Christ's church and destroy his church from the inside. The other thing he told us about how we can survive is we must remain in a growing relationship with God. And he gave us four things we needed to do. You remember this from last week? Number one, he says we have to build ourselves up in the faith. Keep our finger in the text. The better we know the truth, the harder it will be for people to deceive us away from the truth. Keep our finger in the text. Secondly, he said we have to pray. The better we know the true God of the universe through prayer, the harder it will be to deceive us away from the true God of the universe because he will speak to us and he will work through us as we talk to him in prayer. He also said this, keep yourselves in the love of God. What does that mean? It means obey God's word. Remember we talked last week that it's a little bit like parenting kids. When your children obey you, when they clean up their room like they've been told to do, when they actually come in uh, on time with their curfew, it's much easier to love on them, isn't it? Much easier to bless on them. But when they disobey you, you don't love them any less. But they have to experience a lot more correction, don't they? Not Not a lot more of your love. And so Jude says, keep yourself in the love of God. You'll experience God just loving on you, not correcting you. And the last thing he said in this area was, make sure you wait for the mercy of the Lord Jesus that leads to eternal life. As Christians, every single day we live our life and we make our choices in our life with our eyes fixed on the day we will stand in front of Jesus. We don't live for pleasure and joy now. We live and look forward for pleasure and joy then. Make choices that honor Christ now, so we will be honored by Christ later. It just makes sense. So he said we have to remember the past. Then number two, we remain in a healthy relationship with God in the present. And then he said this, we must rescue those who have been led astray. And you remember he gave three different kinds of rescues at that time we talked about last week. He said, some people out there are just spiritually confused. They've run across some uh, material by a false teacher, a spiritual terrorist. They've read it. It doesn't feel quite right to them. They're confused about it. And what we're supposed to do is show mercy to them. Don't reject them. Love on them and help them to see the truth. That sounds fair. Others, he said, though, are not confused. They've actually bought those lies. They now believe those lies. They're spiritually convinced. And for them, it's not a mercy operation. He says that's a rescue operation. It's like they've put their feet in buckets of wet cement. It hasn't hardened yet, this false belief system, but it's getting close. You try to snatch them like a piece of wood right out of the flame before they burn. Not much time left. You go in to rescue them. So he we went from the spiritually confused, which was mercy, the spiritually convinced, which was rescue, and then last week he said that what about the those who are committed to that false teaching, hardcore commitment? He says you have a different approach to them. You do show mercy to them, but it's mingled with it's mercy with fear. In other words, he says you don't get too close to them. You keep a healthy distance between yourself and them, because they're not much in common with you anymore. They're committed to false teaching or you're committed to God's teaching. I mean, we're talking different directions we're heading. And he said it this way, hating even the garments stained by the flesh, which is a memorable way to talk about that. Remember what garment meant? Do you guys remember that? It's not an outer garment. It's a what? Underwear. Thank you. I was waiting for somebody to just be honest. It's literally, it says, underwear, stained by the flesh. Well, you can figure that one out. It's called poopy pants. Those are Jude's words, not mine. And what do you do when you're picking up a pair of dirty underwear? Like this, and you hold it away from you, so you don't get the filth all over you. That's how you treat those who are committed to false teaching. Mercy to them, but some distance from them. Well, that brings us to where we're at in the final two verses of Jude. And I've summarized the entire book for you here on that. The question becomes, well, if I'm supposed to show mercy to these people, I'm supposed to try and go out and rescue these people, but the filth of their life can get all over me, maybe what I should do is keep some distance between myself and these people. I don't want to get too involved in getting close to these people. I could get their filth on me. And then people start to wonder, you know, this whole book was about people being deceived away from Jesus. Maybe they could deceive me away from Jesus. Maybe they could convince me of their lies. Maybe I could fall away from the truth. Maybe I could lose my very salvation. If I could lose my salvation, isn't this whole book about people who walked away from Jesus? I don't want to rescue them. I don't want to even get close to them. I don't want to become another statistic. I don't want to become the next chapter of people who fell away from Christ that's talked about in the book of Jude. Isn't that the way many people think? In these final two verses, Jude addresses that question. When you go in to rescue those who have been deceived and led away, is there any safety for you? Or can you too be led into apostasy? Let's find out what he says. Stand out of reverence for God's word as we read the final two verses of this book. You may be seated. This is what's called a doxology. That's a big word, but it actually has a real simple meaning. Doxus is the Greek word for praise. Logos is the Greek word for word. So it's just simply words of praise. And you find doxologies throughout the Bible where all of a sudden you're reading along and the biblical writer becomes so stoked, so thrilled with God and who he is and what he has done for us, he just explodes in words of praise. For instance, the book of Psalms, which is 150 chapters. You may not realize this, but it's actually divided up into five different books. And at the end of each of the five books of Psalms as you go through it, it ends with a doxology, just words of praise to how great our God is. Doxologies are often found at the end of books, so not exclusively. You go to the end of the book of Romans. Paul ends that letter with a doxology similar to Jude's. You go to the end of the book of 2 Timothy. There's another doxology there where just all of a sudden the biblical writer just bursts out in praise for the greatness of who God is and what he has done for us. And this is what Jude does as he finishes this letter. He is so thrilled for our great God that he writes this doxology, these words of praise just describing God and his greatness. And this doxology breaks into two parts. Verse 24 describes what our amazing God has done for us. And verse 25 tells us how we need to respond to our great God after all he has done. So let's go ahead and dive right in. First thing we see in verse 24 describes what God has accomplished for us. And he says this, God promises to keep us from stumbling. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, Jude says. And here's where it gets fun. In Greek, the word for stumbling is apostasis. It's the Greek word for apostasy. God is the one who will keep you from falling into apostasy. When we go in for a rescue operation to these people who are spiritually confused, people who are maybe convinced of false teaching, and you're wondering if I'm going to fall to the false teaching, Jude says, do not worry, because here is the thing you need to know. Our God is so great, he will keep us from falling into apostasy. Our salvation is never in question. Oh, may we get some of the filth of the false teacher's lives on us? Oh, yes, he warns us about that. That's going to happen if you get too close to a committed false teacher but they will not deceive us into apostasy when we're in the midst of a rescue operation. That's literally what he says. He says here, by the way, our God is able to keep us from stumbling. And some of you say, well, he's able to keep us from stumbling. It doesn't say he will keep us from stumbling, so maybe we will fall to it anyway. That's actually a misunderstanding of what the Greek behind the words he is able actually mean. They actually mean he is sufficient for the task. What this is saying is no matter how slippery a false teacher becomes, no matter how deceptive or manipulative a false teacher is, our God is so great that He will protect His children from falling into apostasy and being deceived by a false teacher and led away from Jesus, their Savior. Well, we can still get filth on us. And the filth of their false teaching, yes, He told us that, but we cannot be deceived away from Jesus. Now, to explain this to you a little better, let me put on what is a larger biblical lens and give you some teaching here. For instance, if you go to John chapter 6, verse 37, it says, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. If you are a genuine Christian this morning, the reason you trusted in Jesus Christ The reason when you heard the good news of Jesus, it made complete sense to you, and you trusted in Jesus, and you were born again. While you have friends who you've, they've heard the good news of Jesus, but they completely reject it, the reason that you can understand the gospel is what we learned when we studied Ephesians, that in eternity past, God chose you first. In eternity past, He loved you, he decided to put you together with his own son, Jesus. Jesus chose you long before you could ever choose him. That's a great God. In fact, the only reason we can choose Jesus is because he chose us first. And since God is the source of our salvation, and our salvation begins with God choosing us, He will not let a false teacher come along and deceive you and take you out of God's hand. Your salvation is secure. John 6, 39. And this is the will of him who sent me, Jesus says, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. Jesus will not lose you, If you have been given to Jesus by the Father, if you are a genuine Christian, he will not let a false teacher deceive you away. God promises to supernaturally protect you from a false teacher's deception. Isn't that a great promise? That's We have a great God. Let me tell you how he does that. When you're under a false teacher and you have your finger in the text and you're reading the Bible, all of a sudden you go, You know, I've been reading the Bible, and what they're saying, and what this book says, they don't jive. God will bring that to your attention as he is protecting you from that false teacher's teaching, and he's using his word to do it. Sometimes he'll bring other Christians into your life, and you'll talk about that false teacher's teaching, and they'll say, oh, by the way, let me show you what the Bible says about that. And he'll use other Christians to help you to be able to see the truth and not to be deceived But the point is, God promises to supernaturally protect us. Not because we're so good, but because he is so good. Not because we chose him first, but because he chose us first. And nothing can take us out of his hand. Look what it says in Hebrews 7.25. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession. This word uttermost, in the Greek it means completely, perfect, totally. My friends, no matter what you have done, no matter how far from God you have run, no matter where you have been, when you call out to Jesus, you cry out to Jesus, he will save you to the uttermost, completely, totally perfectly. That's the good news of the gospel. And if he can save us from our sin to the uttermost, he also promises that no tricky, deceptive, smooth-talking false teachers will be able to deceive us out of God's hand and take us away. Look what it says in John 10. I give them eternal life. They will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. No false teacher is going to take you away. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, greater than any false teacher. No one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hands. Amen? Amen? We have a great God. This leads us to another question it's the logical question that comes next. You say, "Well, wait a minute. I know people who have come to a church, they've professed to be a Christian, they've been part of that church maybe for weeks, days, months or years, but a false teacher came along and they believed that false teaching. They left the church. They walked away from Jesus. That's the experience I've seen. I've seen So how can you say that true Christians will never be deceived by a false teacher? Well, John, who wrote the Gospel of John that we just read about no one will be able to snatch them out of God's hand, recalling Jesus' words, he also says this in his letters. He explains how this happens. He says, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they, that they all are not of us. John admits there will be some people that will come to church, that will profess to be Christians. But over a period of time, they will walk away from the church, and they will walk away from Christ. And the reason they do that it's because they're revealing they never knew Jesus in the first place. Because if they genuinely knew Jesus, the only reason you genuinely know Jesus is because Jesus chose you before you chose him. And nobody can snatch you out of God's very hand. No false teachers. So those who walk away never knew God's love in the first place. Well, we know that God is amazing. He supernaturally protects us from being deceived by apostates so we don't fall by these false teachers. He also says this, God will present us blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. Now to him who is able to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. We will be Presented before God, blameless in heaven. And folks, this is a big deal. Sometimes you read books. People talk about, you know, 90 minutes in heaven. You know, I died and went to heaven. And they talk about how they, they met with God and they they talked with God. It was sort of a casual thing, like they're having, you know, coffee at Starbucks with their friend. I'm gonna tell you, those are all lies. And here's how I can prove it to you. In the Bible, when people do have an encounter with God every single time, it is a horrifying, awe-inspiring experience. It's not a casual experience. It's not a small thing to see, God. Because the holiness of God, when you're there with your sinfulness of yourself, just totally blows you away. Let me show you what the scriptures say. Isaiah met with God. And it says, Isaiah said, woe is me, for I am lost, for I'm a man of unclean lips. He's talking about his sin. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Oh, it's terrible. I'm so filthy with my sin. Ezekiel, he sees God in the book of Ezekiel. He falls over as if dead. <laughs> then you have Peter, James, and John. Remember on the Mount of Transfiguration when we studied the gospel of Mark? What happened to them? They passed out in the midst of God's glory. John in the book of Revelation, he sees God. What's his response? Revelation 1.17. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though Dead. So the idea is that anyone of us in our natural state, if we were to see God, it would totally knock us out, blow us away because of our sinfulness and His holiness. But here it's interesting. God is so good. It's that one day we will be presented before Him blameless. Now, get this. We will be blameless before God. Blameless is an interesting term. It comes out of the Old Testament. It was used to describe the Old Testament sacrifices that were offered. And if you know about that, you know a sacrifice had to be perfect, without flaw in any way whatsoever. What this is saying, is that God will take away all of our sinfulness. He will have to take away all of our flaws, all of the things that make us completely unacceptable to his holiness. He will take all of that away and present us before him blameless. You know how he does that. You know who takes away all of our sinfulness? Anybody heard his name? Jesus! What a great God we have. He protects us supernaturally from being deceived by false teachers and falling into apostasy and walking away from God. And he takes away all of our sin. So one day, we will be in the presence of God, the very presence of God, completely, what? Blameless. We have an amazing God. And it gets better we will experience the glory of God, who before the presence of his glory. What is it like to experience God's glory? My friends, it's joy. Complete and total joy and happiness. Look what it says in Psalm 1611 about God's presence. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is Fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. One day we will be presented blameless before God. We'll experience His glory, which is complete and total joy and pleasure. Do you realize that God is the source of all joy and pleasure in this world? He radiates joy and pleasure like the sun radiates light. And we will stand before him blameless because of Jesus, soaking in joy as it radiates from God like we are on a beach on a hot summer day. That, my friends, is what awaits us because of our great God and his son Jesus. Look what the psalmist says in Psalm 27 4. One thing have I asked of the Lord, that I will seek after him, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. In that day to see Jesus is to see incredible beauty. Have you ever seen something so beautiful that you cannot get it out of your mind? Have you ever seen something so beautiful that you cannot help but constantly talk about what you've seen? Anything you've seen in this life that inspires that kind of awe because of its beauty is nothing compared to the day we'll stand in front of Jesus and God the Father and see their beauty. It'll leave you spellbound, and we will not be able to stop talking about it. Psalm 42. As the deer pants for flowing streams... So my soul, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? The psalmist says, I desperately want to be in your presence. It's like I'm parched. I'm totally thirsty. I need the glass of cold water on a hot and dry day is how much I long to be with you and experience your joy. That's what awaits us. Psalm 84.10. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. Now, folks, there's a lot of people around here when the winter comes, and it's about ready to come. You're going to go someplace warm. Someplace nice. Some of you are going to go to Florida. Some of you are going to go to the Bahamas and say, I would take one day in the Bahamas compared to a whole winter in Spirit Lake. Well, I'll tell you what. One day in God's presence is better than a thousand in the best vacation spot you can ever find anywhere. That is how good it is. Not only will we be deceived, protected from apostasy because of our great God, not only will we be presented blameless before God, not only will we be able to experience God's incredible glory, which is in, intense and total joy, but he says this, we'll be filled with great joy in the presence of God before the presence of glory with great joy. Now, I'd like to take this from a slightly different angle. I talked about our joy in God's presence, In this point, let me talk about God's joy when we are there. Look what it says in Zephaniah. For the Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. Folks, when God made the world... It says that the morning stars sang for joy after he created everything, all of space, everything you can see with the Hubble Space Telescope and more, this whole planet, six days. That's pretty big work, isn't it? Yet the morning stars sang for joy, but God simply said, it is good. He did not sing for joy. But the day when all of the redeemed are in heaven, when all of us are there blameless because of Jesus Christ, when God who put us together in eternity past with his son sees the realization of his plan and we're all redeemed, basking in his glory, filled with joy, what Zephaniah says that in that day, God will be so happy, he will not just say it is good, but God himself will burst out in song Singing over you, singing over me, because he is so thrilled, so glad that we have been redeemed, saved, and all of God's children have come home to where they belong. Parents, do you like it when all your kids come home? That's what it's going to feel like for God when we are all home. He'll burst out singing with joy. Do we have a good God or what? Protecting us from apostasy, making us blameless before him, enjoying his glory, which is joy and beauty. And then he sings over us because he loves us so much. And then Jude says, now you know what God has done for you. Let me tell you how you should respond to him. What should God receive from us? He deserves our complete allegiance, Jude says in verse 25, to the only God, our Savior through Jesus Christ. Folks, there is how many God here? There is only one God. Those who are out there saying, by the way, all different religions worship the same thing, just a different way, I just wish they would take their head and pound it into a concrete block wall to knock some sense into it. That's not what the Scripture says. It says there is only one God and only one way to know God. That's through Jesus Christ, who is our Savior. Only one Savior. There's only one answer to that question. Joseph Smith and the Mormons, apostates, do not know God. Charles Russell and the Jehovah's Witnesses, apostates, do not know God. Muhammad and Islam do not know God. Only one God and one way to know him through Jesus Christ. That's just the Bible. And something else he deserves. Oh, by the way, so that means he deserves some of our allegiance, doesn't he? He deserves it. The other thing that he deserves is he deserves to be Lord of our life. Through Jesus Christ, he says, Our Lord. Lord means master. After all he has done for us, doesn't he deserve to be in charge of us? Amen? So many Christians treat Jesus like he's power windows, he's an accessory in our life. He's not an accessory, he's not a convenience. He deserves to be the center of our life. He deserves to be in charge of our life. Folks, Jesus took an eternity in the lake of fire. He died in your place. He suffered God's wrath that you and I deserved to make us the most blessed beings in the entire universe, to bask forever in God's glory with joy. That's not what we deserve, but that is what Jesus gives us. He deserves to be the Lord and Master who directs our choices. He directs our speech. He directs everything about us, not necessary. He's the center of us is what he deserves from us. He deserves to be honored by us, this term glory. We deserved, he deserves to have his commands obeyed. And by the way, every single time there's a command in Scripture, realize He doesn't have a command that is to take away your life. Every command is intended to give you life. Did you realize that? Every single command of God for us is is good. He deserves to be obeyed. He deserves to be well spoken of by us, which is this term, majesty. Folks, I don't get a chance to watch many sports, but I end up watching my sports on YouTube. I'll just admit it. And my sports are wrestling. I love to watch Jordan Burroughs and all those other guys on YouTube wrestling. That's my favorite hobby. But here's the deal that's sort of fun. I can talk about them with amazement because they can do things I cannot do. But we have a Savior who's done something for us that nobody can do. He died for us. He saved us. How can we not constantly speak about him with love, admiration, and awe? He deserves to have his authority over us recognized. And lastly, he deserves all of this from us today and forever. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us so many things we don't deserve Thank you for protecting us supernaturally from falling to false teaching so that nothing can take us out of your hand. Thank you for presenting us in heaven for all of eternity, blameless in sin free to your son. Thank you for giving us an eternity of basking in the radiance of your glory with great joy. Thank you for loving us so much that you sing for joy over us. Never before have you singed until your children all are home in heaven. Oh, we have such a good God. May we be a people who are loyal to you, who have you as our Lord, not as an accessory, who speak well of you at all times, because that is what you deserve. And all God's people said, amen. This has been a presentation of Crosswinds Church, More of Pastor Kurt's sermons can be found online at crosswinds.tv. Thanks for being with us, and may God continue to enrich your life.